I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Podcast. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast.matan.org.il. Each week we spend 30 minutes speaking about a seminal figure or idea on that week's Parsha. Parshat Re'eh opens with the subject of today's episode, the recitation of the blessings and curses on Mount Grizim in Eval. After this, the Parsha moves to a discussion about the centrality of the Mikdash in the land of Israel and the prohibition to worship other gods in any other place, which will also be the topic of our discussion today. The Parsha then reviews the laws governing the permission to eat meat and its use as a sacrifice. It then includes a varied groupings of laws, such as the requirement to kill a false prophet and how to identify them, the requirement to similarly kill an idolatrous city, and a review of laws of kashrut, shmitat ksafim, and the requirement to bring the first animal as a sacrifice to God, and ends with a discussion of the three regalim of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. In some ways, honestly, Re'e feels like a mini Torah, sort of a summary of some of the highlights that we have uh, all throughout the Chumashim. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with my colleague and friend, Shuli Mishkin, who is a licensed tour guide who loves guiding people of all ages all over Israel. Alongside her regular guiding work, she teaches tour and text courses in the Jerusalem branches of Matan and Pardis and provides tours for special needs students in the Darkenu program. Shuli was a Matan scholar in the early years of Matan's existence. Shuli, it's great to have you here again. It's always fun to be with you, Yosefa. These are always highlight episodes for me. So, Shuli, we want to take your guiding expertise and to take us into the world. First, we'll start in Grizim and Eval. We'll start there. Mm-hmm. So, take us take us into there and how sort of the the archaeology and the realia of this place in Eretz Israel can illuminate our understanding of it in the Parsha. Okay, so we're going to get on the bus. It's going to take about two hours. No, we're doing this in the fast version. From Yosefa's dining room. From Yosefa's dining room, which doesn't have, it has a nice view, but not the same. Really, to understand this Parsha, it's very helpful to go on a trip, but we will try to do that uh, in our imagination. So at the very beginning of the Parsha, right, starts out by saying, so this is the first of three times that we hear this uh, this story being told that you have to do this. We have it here very briefly. We hear it again towards the end of Sefer Dvarim, where we get the actual klalot. And then we hear again at the in Sefer Yoshua, and it seems very much like a sort of like a little side note. We only have a couple of psukim where it says, "Oh, we actually went and we did this what we were supposed to do." It seems like a lot of lead up for very little, you know, that we get at the end of the story. But this is a, a very significant event in Am Yisrael's um, becoming a nation, right, in their nationhood. Uh, in fact, later on in Devarim, it says, Hasket Ushma Yisrael, Hayom Hazeh Nieta La'am La'ashem Alokecha. Listen up, listen up in Israel. This is what's going to make you a nation. So pre- this, is a, this is an important event. 
where is this happening and why is it happening where it's happening and when is it happening? We have a whole great discussion in the Gemara in Sotah, the end of Masechet, towards the end of Masechet Sotah, which talks about how it's happening and when does it happen. But let's just look back at the Parsha for one more second, right? We had our first Pasuk, Parakidal, Pasuk Katet. And then after it says to us, okay, you should go do this, we get these, the tour guides love these Pesukim, right? Uh, these, these directional Pesukim, which are, are always very interesting because not only does it give you directions, although we'll see that these directions are somewhat confusing, um, but it also gives us a sense of did people know where these places were? or not, because my favorite example is always in the end of Sefer Shoftim, Shoftim. right? Yeah. It's very clear that they well, they have they, no they idea. Knew. The writer knows where it is, but the people clearly the don't. people don't know where Shiloh yeah. is. How can you not know where Shiloh is? Because right. nobody went to Shiloh, right. which is part of the irony to end Shoftim with the fact that right. no one was really going. That there. no one was really going. But here we have here you can understand they're in the desert. Of course they don't know where things are. So it says hello hema beaver hayarden achrei derech mivo ashemesh beeretz haknani or yoshev barava mul hagilgal etzel elone more, which seems to be very clear, although the Gemara actually looks at it in two different possibilities. It could be very close to the Yardin. It could be far from the Yardin. And they read each of these words, right? Achrei, um, which is Achrei, is it before, is it to the east, to the west? Is it where the sun sets? Is it where the sun rises? We're not going to go into this whole all the details, but it, it is fascinating to see that, that it, even at the time of the Gemara, it's not so clear where these places are. And, and, and a really fascinating example, right? The Gemara says that there's one opinion that this is not Grizim and Eval that we're going to talk about near Shechem, which are the two mountains that are the Shechem, that are the shoulders of the city of Shechem. But there's another opinion that says, no, no, there are two small mountains, Shnei Gav Shushim. There are these little hills that are right near the Yardim because it says Mul uh, HaGilgal, Right, Gilgal seems to be near the how you all of these directions are a little bit contradictory. So uh, one of the opinions, I believe it's Rabbi Lazar, says there are these two mini hills that are called Gizim and Eval. Now, if you look at the Medva map, which is this mosaic floor that was discovered in Jordan about a hundred years ago, and it's from the Byzantine period, from the sixth century, and it's a map of Eretz Israel. The most famous part of it that I'm sure a lot of people have seen is the is the part that's of the city of Jerusalem that has the cardo going down the middle. But it's got all sorts of other parts too, and it actually has two sets of Grizim and Eval. It's got a Grizim and Eval where we would put them by Shechem, and it's got two another Grizim and Eval by the Yardin. Right? So who came first? Right? Was it the Byzantines? Was it the Gemara? But, but it's a very, very interesting idea. But today we assume that Grizim and Eval are these two very significant mountains that are near Shechem. Okay? Grizim is the mountain that's holy to the Shomronim, to the Samaritans, whole other interesting subject for a podcast. Um, the Shomronim actually have a safer Torah. Their Torah is almost the same as our Torah, except they add a few Grisimo-centric um, lines. Uh, and one of them is this, right? They say, Don't give me any of this. Where This is where it is. We're going to tell you the real place. Right? So we have Grisim, and we have Eval, which is this massive mountain to the north of Shrem that 
we will talk about for a second where a Mizbeach was discovered, where an ancient altar was discovered. But we basically are assuming that this is where it happens. And then we have another question, which the Gemara also tries to deal with. Because the next Pasuk, the last Pasuk on this topic, Pasuk Laman Aleph, Ki atem ovrim et ha-yarden l'avod ha-resht et ha-aretz asher Hashem alokecham noten lachem v'yirashtem otav v'yishabtem ba. It seems that our doing these blessings and curses, and this is reiterated again later on in Dvarim, is going to be on that day, right? And then you have this very interesting question, well, how are you getting all these many people, however many people they may be, from the Yardane where they're crossing Neged Yericho all the way up to Shrem, and the Gemara has fascinating conversations. It was a miracle. No, no, it was. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't on that exact day. No, it was fourteen years later. But but it's a, it's a very interesting question. Um, but, but I, I just want, want to say yeah. from a shop perspective, you, you definitely can read it both ways. Meaning, when it says that you are now crossing the Arden, it doesn't mean that it has to be that day. It mm-hmm. means that it's going to be a process that happens. Exactly. But it, so it really does lead. To both these explanations, um, if it's close to the Yardin and the Gilgal, then it has to be somewhere much closer than where Shem is today. But if you look at it sort of broadly, then they'll get there eventually. Right. Maybe they'll get and there in two exactly months. That's exactly what the Yerushalmi says, right? Yeah. The Yerushalmi says it's all going to happen after the 14 years of, uh, of Kibush, yeah. right? It's, it's not happening right away. But I'll just give you one other fascinating possibility. Um, when we think of B'nai Israel crossing the Yardin, I don't know if you picture it in your mind. How do you picture it? I mean, I have pictured it. Okay. How, how are they set up, all these people? You mean how are they crossing? Like how in they, lines versus... Yes, correct. How do they look? I think about I'm that, I'm going actually, with my drone, and what do I see? I, I imagine small line formations. Like, they weren't passing on one line. They were... Like, you're picking, picturing it like Kriyat Yamsuf, where they have each shevet is their own... Something like that. Uh, also, it's, like that. it was very, very shallow, also, and it wasn't the same kind of miraculous event as... So I kind of imagine people just jumping in and getting out. Just go, let, let's just go. Don't, yeah, no freestyle, line. freestyle. You know? uh, very Israeli. Right? <laughs> we're, we're coming in, we're getting into the spirit. Kind of like how the Yarden looks in the summertime. Okay. It's just a lot of people jumping in with their tubes. That's you know? interesting, because most people don't say that, right? They most, say a line. Most people say either a very long line stretching from west to east, yeah. or, and the Gemara suggests this also, in their machanot, like as they moved in the Midbar, Right, you have the you know Yehuda in the front, Don in the back, right, in this sort of Onion, a, sort of a rectangular shape. I guess it's hard for me to imagine Israelites listening to rules. Exactly, at right? this point Here in we history, go, coming but, into Eretz Israel, yeah. we're not listening to rules. Right. But Rav Yitzchak Levi gives a fascinating other suggestion, mm. which is don't imagine a long line from west to east. Imagine a long line from north to south. Which Wait, is help a, me out here for the directionally impaired. Okay, so you're They're not. It's not long, but it's. It's, it's meaning it's a one-by-one one as opposed to... Everyone all. is, picture all of Am Yisrael holding hands... Walking in together. And crossing together. Okay, I think I actually meant something more like that, but I'm directionally which is, which is a fabulous image, yeah. right? But it also helps us here. Why? Because the ones in the north, because we're talking about a lot of people, mm-hmm. the ones at the northern end are very en- close to the entrance of what's called Nachal Tirzah. Mm. And if you go through Nachal Tirzah... You're closer to Shrem? You're, you emerge exactly by Shrem and oh. Greece. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it would solve the time problem. The problem is that not everybody would be there, and this seems right. to be an event that everybody should be there, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's a lot, a lot to talk about here, but we have other things we want to talk about too. But I do want to bring in something, and anyone who's come with me to to Har uh, Kabir, to Elo where you look at Grizim and Eval, or has heard me talk about this, has heard me say this because I love it. Um, 
1879, J.W. McGarvey made a tour of the Holy Land. Okay, so this is this guy. He's a Baptist uh, missionary, uh, and he's got some buddies, and they decide that as they're going through the land, as they come through Shrem, they want to see if this story is feasible. And they want to know if you stand in the middle, could you be heard on either Hmm. mountain? And he says, as we're walking through, it's very, very obvious. And the person who posted this on uh, wherever, somewhere on the Internet, uh, put in a Google Earth, a satellite image. He says, it's very obvious that this is a natural amphitheater. Because in the side of Grizim, there's like an indentation. And in the side of Eval, there's an indentation. Today, it's hard to see because Shechem is much bigger than it was in 1879. But he talks about how, he says, we would try the experiment of reading the blessings and curses because it's interesting to know that the spot chosen by God for this reading is a vast natural amphitheater. No man with his eyes open can ride along the valley without being struck with this singular formation. He tells about he and Brother Earl and Brother Taylor and how they, they set themselves up and they can hear very beautifully. So it's it's great. It's it's a great uh, That's another, another, I wouldn't say proof, but another support for the fact that it happens in that spot in Shechem because it has a natural echo mm-hmm. that will exactly. support this sort of public recitation. Exactly. And yeah. this brings us to our other question of the day, which is Shechem? What's so special about Shechem? Why mm-hmm. are we doing this here? And here's where we get into the other major theme of at least the beginning of Parsha, because as you said, this Parsha has so much going on. Um, but a major theme of Parakut Bet is the place, right? Hamakom. When you come, you're going to come to the place. And the question is, is there one place? Are there a lot of places? Right? What's going on here? Why is Shechem a holy place? Um, and again, I, I brought him up before. I don't know, somehow he's coming up a lot. Rav Yitzchak Levi from Yeshivat Haaretzion. Uh, he talks about stations in the land, right? He says that we don't, we can't come to Yushalayim right away, right? Yushalayim is the culmination of a long process where we have holy places. And one of those holy places happens to be Shechem. Shechem is a very powerful place for good and for bad. Yeah, it's a central, it plays centrally in many stories in yeah. Tanakh. It's, um, it, and many positive mm, and, and negative, negative stories, yeah, yeah. right? Now, Yosef is kidnapped from, is sold from Shechem. The story of Dina in Shechem. The story in Sefer Shoftim. Exactly. Of, uh, of, of Abimelech. Abimelech. And the, the separating of the kingdoms mm-hmm. happens in Shechem. Yeah. Right? It's but, clear that Shechem was a Yerushalayim. What we would think of today as Yerushalayim, it's very clear that Shechem had that status for many, many years. Correct. Yerzakovich is another and, scholar who speaks about this. Yes, right? and Rav Yitzchak Levi says Shechem is really the natural capital. Mm-hmm. It's a much more logical capital than Jerusalem. Much more centrally located. It's very centrally located. It's on main roads. It's in the middle of two very powerful Shabbatim, Ephraim and Menashe. So every stop that we make along this journey, and we can think of a bunch of holy places, right? Shechem, Shiloh, Hebron, Beit El, they are contributing something to arriving at this makom, hmm. right? That, and, and again, let's let's take a look at the psukim, right? So Perakid Bet very much focuses on this. It talks in the beginning about getting rid of all the places of Avodah right? But then uh, in Pasuk Dalid, right, 
we get to lo tasun ken l'ashem elokechem, don't get rid of Hashem's places, even though we'll see that we do have to get rid of them. Ki imal ha-makom asher yibchar Adonai elokechem, mikol shivtechem l'asum et shmo sham, l'shachno tidrishu ubata shama. Right? You have this place that you have to come to. Now, fascinatingly enough, this place is not mentioned. Right? And by the way, again, the Shomronim, right? Shomronim say, No, no guesses here. We don't have to worry. That's where it is. But Sefer Devarim does not say the Makom, right? Which, again, is a fascinating question in terms of biblical criticism and, and what do we think about and that? also just send a message. Why not? Like, why not? Why not say Yerushalayim? And it leads to the conclusion that the Makom is a sliding scale, meaning mm-hmm. we want it to be one place, but maybe it doesn't have to be Yerushalayim at that point in at history. At that point, right? So I think that the Torah is saying there might be stages, mm-hmm. but there always needs to be a makom. A centralized right? place of worship. But this is a very difficult thing for Am Yisrael to do. Right, but let's just look what what the Torah wants us to do. Right, bring your sacrifices there, etc., etc. Pasuket lo tasung kachon asher anachnu osim po hayom ish kol hayashar beinav ki lo batem ad ata el hamenucha veel hanachala. Right, and Chazal pick up on this, and they pick up on the repetitive nature of the psukim, right? And they say, well, why do you have the makom, and then a break, and then the makom again? And they say, well, that's because there's going to be Shiloh, and then there's going to be Yerushalayim. And they're each going to be holy in their time. The difference with Yerushalayim, of course, is that it's holy forever, right? Everything else has a transitional holiness. It doesn't, it doesn't stay um, but they say the Menucha is Shiloh, the Nachala is Yerushalayim. And there's an amazing Gemara in Zvachim that talks about this kind of on and off relationship, right? You can have the Bamot until you come to till Gilgal. Then after Gilgal, you know, you come to Shiloh, no Bamot. Once you leave Shiloh and the Mishkan is destroyed, you have Nov and Givon, you can have Bamot again, right? On and off, on and off. Can you have local worship? Is it only one place? But once we come to Yerushalayim, that's it, right? There is no more messing around, no more bamot, no more local worship, and you only have Yushalayim, one God, one place. Seems very simple. This was one of the bigger revolutions of, of Tanakh, was to try Correct. and get people to disconnect from a pagan perspective, which was many gods all over the place, um, and create something that was centralized and, and through one god. I mean, it, it didn't really work successfully until Bayi Cheney. I mean, Correct. this was a hundreds of years of theological reformation. So this, this parak sort of epitomizes that idea, but... It's very clear that this is the beginning of a long process. It's a very long process, right? And, and, and it's fascinating because we see it both in the text and in archaeology that people don't want to give up their, their shtibol. People don't want to give up their local worship. We have all these very legitimate places, right? Yaakov puts up Matzebot in Beit El, and we have Bamot in various places, and it does not seem to be a problem, right? And this is uh, that's why I find it ironic. Lo uh, right? It was okay to do that, 
But once we have the place in Yerushalayim, it's not okay anymore. Uh, and having those local places, that's not acceptable. And we see that both in the text and in archaeology, A, that it's not acceptable, but B, that people had a very hard time with it, right? So if Amos talks about, you know, Tidrishu uh, Nivichyu, right? Go look for Hashem and don't go, Lo Tidrishu Beit El, Gilgal, and Beersheba. Don't go to all of these ritual places, but go only to me, says Hashem. To me means, of course, to the Mikdash. Now, Amos is already talking in the time when you have a split, right? And you have alternate Mikdashim in uh, in Beit El, in Dan, right? We don't even have just the one Mikdash. But there's always this desire to have your local place. Everybody wants to have their place where they feel close. And what's fascinating is that in archaeology, we've discovered Bamot, and we've discovered even an entire Mikdash uh, in Tel Arad, we'll talk about in a minute, um, and it's not so clear that this is a Bodhazara, right? Or it's some combination, right? Some syncretism, some combination of Avodah Hashem and Avodah But the issue is not only about the Avodah right? When Chizkiyahu and later Yeshayahu go out and do their religious reform, it's not only about getting rid of the idols. It's also about getting rid of the alternative places of worship. People want it, but Hashem doesn't want it. So just to give two amazing examples from archaeology, um, one is, uh, well, three really. Okay, I'm cheating. Okay. I allow you. It's okay. okay. So when Shiloh is standing, when the Mishkan is standing in Shiloh, literally the next hip, hilltop over is a place that today is called Givat Harel, right? and they found on it a Mizbeach. It's clearly a Mizbeach. It's a stone that's been shaped with the horns, karnaim. right, with yeah. Karnaim. It's clearly a Mizbeach. These guys woke up in the morning. They could have trekked 20 minutes to the Mishkan. No, I want my own Mizbeach in my own backyard, right? Maybe because I don't like what's being done in Shiloh, or maybe because I need to be able to worship God close to my house, right? It's the earliest proof of the power of breakaway minions. Exactly, backyard minyanim. This is backyard minyanim, right? But a much more serious example, I think, uh, is in the south, right, in two places that are actually not so far from each other, Tel Sheva and Tel Arad. Right? Tel Sheva was a very, not very big, but very significant town in the time of Chizkiyahu. Before that also, but it becomes very important in the time of Chizkiyahu. It's an administrative center. It's a very nicely well-planned town, which was clearly for soldiers, for workers of the king, the guys who collect the taxes, right? You had to get a little bit of perks to be, to be willing to schlep down there. So they built them a very nice town. But when they were excavating this town, uh, they discovered, I believe this was in the 60s, archaeologists discovered in the basement of one of the buildings these beautiful hewn stones with horns, right, with karnaim, that clearly were and was an altar that had been taken apart. Today it's in the Israel Museum. There's a copy of it in the site, but the, the real thing is in the Israel Museum. And in many ways, it looks just like the Mizbeach we would have had in the Mikdash, with a few very important exceptions. It's, it's Avnegazit, right? It's yun stones and not field stones. The horns look very kind of animal-like, much more so than the, the real Mizbeach. And perhaps most significantly, there's a drawing of a snake, on the side, oh, wow. right? Which maybe is reminiscent of the Nachash, right? Yechizkiyahu gets rid of the Nachash Nechoshet, right? But 
what's it doing in a basement taken apart, right? So what we suppose is that when Chizkiyahu's men come knocking at the gates and they say, we're here, get rid of all your Avodah the king is doing a religious reform, we'll be back in a month to check. The people of Tel Sheva, they have to follow what the king says. They but go they, underground. Maybe they go underground or maybe they're willing to follow this new rule, but we're going to destroy the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach has holiness. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put it into Geniza. That's what we're going to do because there is some Kiddushah real or you know, what they feel, to this thing. And, and we're not willing to get rid of it completely. Right? I don't know if that means they kept on using it. I'm guessing no, because they dismantled it. But they can't get rid of it. Now, even more fascinating, a little bit to the east, is Tel Arad, where we have what probably was the second religious reform, although archaeologists differ whether it was Chizkiyahu or Yoshiao. But there we have not a dismantled Mizbeach. We have a whole Mizbeach as well as an entire Mikdash. It's astounding, right? It's one of my favorite places to talk about and to go to, even though everyone's like, really? Why would you go there? But there's a a Mizbeach that is the exact dimensions of the Mizbeach of the Mishkan, five amot by five amot by three amot. It's made out of field stones. It has this flint piece on the top. It's filled with dirt. It's literally a Mizbeach Adama. It's exactly like what we hear about in the Mishkan. It's in some kind of a courtyard. And a little further in, there's a Kodesh and a Kodesh Kodeshim. Wow. And the entire thing was covered over and then discovered by archaeologists. So you have a mini Mikda, a Mikdash Ma'at, right? We have a Mikdash Ma'at down in Tel Arad. What's going on there? Presumably, this is also an outpost. It's a border fortress. You have soldiers who are there who are far away from home, far away from their families. They're certainly very far away from Jerusalem. They're lonely. They're frightened. They want to pray. Mm-hmm. We can't get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's far away. So we're going to make our local mikdash. And we don't care that you have a religious reform. This is very important to us. And then when they are forced to, they cover it up. So this tension between a makom, one place and many places, exists throughout Bayit Rishon times. And it really is only resolved, like you said, in Bayacheni times, but not with other mikdashim, but with a real mikdash ma'at, with a Beit Knesset, right? Which, again, is an interesting question. When does that start? Why does that start? But it's a way to say, well, we have that one place, but now we have these local places where different things happen, right? We don't have korbanot for the most part, um, but, but we do have a way to come closer to God. You know, as as you're speaking and as I'm sort of thinking about these psukim, I understand God not wanting us to have local bamot because they tended to go off track, meaning they tended to go towards Avodah or in a good case scenario, they were, as you said, there was a syncretism there and they were both worshiping God and Avodah But I guess I'm curious also theologically why it's so important that there be this centralized kind of worship. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, reflecting a, a reality where I don't know there, I don't know that place to be in existence and the way it's envisioned in the Torah. But I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. But I, I don't know if I could answer why you need the Mikdash, but I think we could answer why you need Yerushalayim, right? And for that, go back to Sefer Shmuel, right? David, one of the lowest moments of his life, He's running away. Avshalom is in charge. He's going with his entourage. They're going, right? Olimu bochim. They're going up ma'alazetim. They're leaving. It's this terrible, tragic moment. And along come the Kohanim carrying the Aron. Wait, 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 wait for us. We're going to bring the Aron. And what does David say to them? 
bring it back, bring it back to the city. If I find favor in Hashem's eyes, he'll reunite me with the Aaron, but the Aaron stays in the city. And by doing that, David guarantees that Yushalayim remains the place. There's no more moving. There's no more leaving. And even though the United Kingdom falls apart, and even though ultimately we go into exile, and then we come back and we go into exile again, Yushalayim remains Hamakom, right? And we can go to Yavne, and we can rebuild, and we can have Bateknesset all over the world. But what's in every one of those Bateknesset? There's something that's pointing towards Yushalayim. And what do we daven in in every one of those Bateknesset? Bring us back, Uvne Yushalayim. And, and perhaps, you know, this is a very Zionistic answer to your question. Yeah. It's what brought us back here, as opposed to retaining only Judaism, which of course is super important, but we are retaining Judaism and our connection to the land. And without that, how would we ever have gotten back? If I understand you correctly, this section in the Torah, which seems to be very theologically focused, which is how I read it, which is where I'm taking your, your note, I'm reading it very theologically, that there's an importance to worshiping God in one place. And you're basically saying that it's, I don't know, Yosefa, that it, the theology is so important, but the geography- no, I don't understand the theology. Oh, you don't understand theology. <laughs> so we can both not understand it together. But you're saying is that the geography of the Kedushah is something that serves a broader national purpose, meaning the united worship in one place mm-hmm. of one God. We'll put the one God on the side for now. That united worship in one place ultimately becomes an anchor, for a spiritual anchor for us over time. Mm-hmm. But it's because the place. Because of the place. Yeah. Remembering Zion, it has to be focused on a place. Otherwise, we become... Only, it's not only, but we become only a religion, a religion and yeah. not a nation. And a nation needs a place. And this is what we've been mm. striving for for 2,000 years. And maybe what Sefer Dvarim is doing, among many other things, is planting the roots of Zionism. Oh, how do you like that for a nice Zionist message? Wow. I think maybe we'll end with that, Julie. Okay. <laughs> this has been great speaking to you. Again, illuminating geography, archaeology, and weaving that in uh, so elegantly. So thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.